and welcome to the Empowerment and Courage podcast. We are your hosts, Ellie and Coco, and we speak to professional athletes so that they can inspire you with their stories. We talk about what's beyond the success, things like the challenges and adversity they had to face, and their advice to anyone with big dreams. For this episode, Ellie spoke with Ander Mirambay. He is the first ever Spanish skeleton pilot and a three-time Olympian. Hi, Ander, and uh, thank you for, for joining our podcast today. Uh, it's a pleasure. Happy to be here and uh, to talk about everything. Yeah, perfect, perfect. We're, we're really happy to have you here as well. Um, so maybe just to start, for, for those who aren't familiar with you, maybe you could just say shortly who you are and, and what you do. Okay, my name is Ander Mirambay. I'm uh, from Barcelona. Uh, now, in this moment, I'm in Germany because I'm training in a training camp. Uh, my sport is skeleton. I have been in three Olympic Games, uh, Vancouver 2010, Sochi 2014, and uh, Pyeongchang 2018. And uh, this was a crazy history because one day I was uh, watching on TV Cool Runnings, uh, the Jamaican movie where some uh, crazy athletes from Jamaica tried to go to Olympic Games to Calgary. And uh, they did it. So I told to myself, why not? I can do that. So my original plan was to try bobsleigh, but it was impossible because uh, Spain and Barcelona will have winter sports and it was too expensive to create a bobsleigh team. So I decided to try skeleton. A skeleton is a sport where you go with the head first, uh, lying on a sled, and uh, you need to push like a, a track and field athlete and then relax and try to slide as good as you can, like everyone pilot and uh, this is uh, how it started in 2005 so now I'm on 2020 to 2021 so this means my 16th season so <laughs> I think it's uh, a long time uh, sliding on a sled. Yeah of course of course and you started pretty late then when you were I think 22 with Skeleton right? Yes correct uh, uh, my background was uh, track and field and before I was playing football I had the opportunity to try uh, to do the trials for Espanol. It's a club from uh, from La Liga, from Spain. And uh, I miss uh, the chance to be in the B team under 16 at this time. And then I moved to track and field and I was able to race in the Spanish championship. I went to a uh, club's European championship, but I was never good enough to be a Olympic athlete. My dream as a kid was uh, to be a football player in Espanol. That was impossible. And uh, the other one was to be Olympic athlete. And I made it in, in the skeleton. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you said, obviously, you, you started in 2005 with Skeleton. Yes. And like you said, you're from Barcelona. And you also said that Spain is not really the ideal place when it comes to winter sports, right? So, I understand that in the beginning, it was quite difficult because there was nobody doing Skeleton in Spain. So, there was not like a lot of, you know, funding maybe for the sport. And I guess it was quite difficult for you in the beginning. How did you look at that, you know, when you first saw the interest for skeleton how did you start if there was not really a lot of people in spain doing this <laughs> well uh, there was nothing at this point in 2005 i think uh, there there was two for me there were two key points the first one uh, it was a personal motivation uh, one of my best friends uh, who was doing track and field he died by cancer and also i have uh, an amazing relationship with uh, with the girlfriend at this point and uh, it was also so uh, done. So I was feeling alone with uh, no motivation, looking up to find out something that it was special for me. And when I saw the movie and I started searching and I was working on it, 
uh, it become like like uh, something magic, you no? Know? And then I put all my energy on it. Uh, the hardest part was all the uh, politicals from the sport, all the federation uh, things that uh, no one trusts the guy of 20, uh, 22 years old guy that wanted to do skeleton in Spain. Otherwise, completely crazy. At this point, we didn't had um, ice federation. It was all in a, like a winter federation where all the winter sports were together. So it was impossible to get anything, no? And, uh, well, I'll decide to do it, everything by myself. I had a lot of, a lot of money, no? I had the money from, from the last three, four summers. I was keeping this money to buy a car and I decided to put all this money on the sport. So it was a little bit crazy, but the motivation and when you have a dream and when you, you think you can do something special in your life, uh, that was my best, um, tool and my, my best motivation to try it. And then, well, uh, you can do whatever you want to do, but if you stop doing it, it's the worst thing you can do it. So when someone was coming to me and say, hey, Andy, there is no federation, what are you going to do this? Or when I call, I think it was 52 sponsors or companies to find a sponsor, and only one helped me to buy the sled. So it was another one, another no, another no. We say, why I need to stop? There are a lot of companies in Spain. I just need to go and, and try and try and try. And, and all these... Uh, our moments uh, become like uh, energy for me. And once you arrive to the ice, I was the happiest man in the world. And uh, no one can stop me from there to Olympics. Yeah, yeah, of course. So how did you do in the beginning then? Like with a coach and everything? Did you just figure everything out by yourself? Or how was that process? Well, it was horrible at the beginning. I just arrived uh, to the school and uh, we didn't have any any shoes, any helmet, anything. I bought the helmet online and we create our own shoes. I saw the, the shoes, uh, skeleton shoes on internet. And uh, we decided with a friend, Alberto and, and Rafaelo, we decided to create uh, our own shoes. So we use a, a cheese grater uh, and also some sand taper. We took our track and field old shoes out, took out the spikes and put all together like, like we saw in a picture. And it was, uh, wow, it was a really fun history. Also, it was in the newspaper in Austria. When we arrive about about this, no. Uh, but once you arrive there, you are alone. Uh, try to make new friends. Try to travel with someone. And I was lucky. Like uh, one year after my first season, I met Uli. Uh, Uli is uh, Uli Geisbuller. He's a Swiss guy. He was my first coach, and he's like the Tyrolean, the typical uh, Swiss man. Like uh, you know, Heidi, the the cartoons. So he was like the old uh, father from Haiti and it was a typical Swiss guy, but with an amazing heart. And he just uh, started to become my coach and my sport father, we can say, because he was helping me to find out a place to buy uh, a sled, to buy runners, to buy clothes. And, uh, I was really lucky to find someone like him and he was supporting a friend of mine who was from Bermuda, another one from Slovenia. So we create like a small nation team and uh, our three, four, also Joska from Holanda from Holland. So our four, we, we start traveling together. No, But the first year was really, really hard driving from Barcelona alone, knowing without knowing anything, just sliding, hitting everywhere, crashing. Uh, once I finished in the hospital and they need surgery for my finger. So it was wow, a big mess. But uh, this is part of the, the history. Yeah, totally worth it now when we know what happens after, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I think it's it's not good when you say, yeah, now you are Olympic and this. But when I look back and I see what are the best moments in my sports career, I'm for sure all these hard moments are completely one of my favorites because 
this is a real sport. This is where someone uh, tries to fight for a dream and, and fight without tools. No problem. I can't do it. I need to go down without a sled. No problem. I use my, my ass if it's necessary. No? So it's, it's, uh, it's something that uh, the human uh, has and uh, not so much people uh, took them out from them to, to create their own projects. No? And in my situation, I was lucky to find this inside me and, and put everything on, on the ice. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, a lot of the time when, when I was, you know, reading about you and stuff, it always came up the word creativity. And it's basically what you said now, like, it doesn't matter what I have. I mean, I'll make it work with whatever. So what would you say that that means to you, you know, looking back? Is it just trying to make it with whatever you have? Or what was your, you know, your determination or kind of your outlook on it? When I have, or when I when I try to give some uh, motivational speech uh, to companies, everything, everyone asks me about endurance, uh, motivation, leadership, uh, team working. But I always tell them that one of my important tools is the creativity, and everyone has creativity. Maybe people has more potential in this area or less, but this is uh, really important. It's not to create a sled. It's not about creating a shoes. Is about finding a solution from every problem that can happen every day. And uh, you need to think what's the best solution for this problem. If you do this exercise, you are using your creativity. And this is one of the most important things I did uh, every day during these uh, 16 seasons. And when I say, or when I try to explain the problems, we can talk about where I'm going to sleep when everything is closed, what will happen when my slate is broken, uh, who I should ask who can help me about this corner of there are always problems and situations that you need to think a little bit more to find out the solution. So for me, this is creativity. And then of course you have your magic moments when you create your own shoes or when uh, <laughs> you do something different, but uh, this happens once every, I don't know, 10 years, but the rest day by day, you need to use your creativity to, to find solutions and to keep going. And this is, a really important thing in a sports career from any athlete. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I guess, you know, when you have your eyes set on something, you have that goal, you really do what it takes, to, whatever it takes, um, essentially, to get, to get there. Yeah, I, I can give you an, an example now. Uh, here, not so far from here, from Germany, in, in Austria, in five or six hours from Königsee, uh, there is a doctor, an eyes doctor. So I contact him and we start working together to improve my eyes. And when I explain them how you can improve your eyes, why do you need to improve your eyes? But uh, I tell to the people, if you use your eyes, you can improve your sliding or you can improve a lot of things because the eyes are like a muscle. So if you train, you can see more things when you slide down. And this is part of our life. So I start working during the summer with this professional, with this, with some exercises. So if normally when I slide down, I can see three things. After this, I can see four, five, six and I have more information, and then it's easier to take the right decision. So this is part of the creativity. Find people who can support you to improve your level. And it's not always about buying the best sled or to have uh, the best uh, traveling. It's to find the right tools in the right moment. Yeah, yeah, of course. So whenever you started Skeleton, then your dream was already the Olympics. You had your eyes set on that right away, or was it something you tried out first? Or how, I mean, how did it, how did it work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you normally, you normally think that the Olympics are the goal, but when I arrived to a track and I had a friend, Matthias Berger, I was with his father. He was one of the best Austrian athletes. 
I told him, well, one day I want to be in the World Cup. This will be amazing. And uh, once you're in the World Cup, you say, hey, one day I want to be in the World Championship. Well, that's amazing. And once you're in the World Championship, you say, okay, I'm with the 30, the 20 best in the world. Why not? Why I cannot be in the Olympics? And then you make it. Of course, that when you start, you always think with Olympic Games. But it's not realistic. It's more like a super dream. But once you go a step and you are closer and closer, it becomes real. And, and this is uh, how the motivation keeps going and keeps growing and growing and growing. Because when you are close, well, you feel that you can do everything to, uh, to achieve this goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you've been very successful with this as well. Like you said, you, you went to the Olympics three times already. Um, the first time in 2010. So that was, you know, around four years after you started with, with Skeleton. Um, so I mean, that's, that's super impressive, first of all. But can you try to describe that feeling, you know, when you finally made it the first time you got to compete at the Olympics? Oof, uh, it's difficult to explain. <laughs> it's, it's a really emotional uh, feeling. It's, it's something special. And uh, for me, during the Olympic Games, there are two really important moments. Uh, first, when we stopped the bus and we were arriving to the opening ceremony, it was like 500 meters of uh, a walk. And uh, in the both sides was all the volunteers who were clapping to you. And this amazing moment was, was crazy because you feel like a superstar, like a rock star. And once you go into the stadium and they say Spain and you go, inside and you see all the lights and everything you say oh my god what this i'm now an olympic i don't care if the guy in front of me has a gold medal or he's gonna fight for a gold medal now it's starting the olympic games we start from zero and this is amazing and then the second the second moment and for me it's really important is the family so i had the the chance and, and the opportunity to have my family in in vancouver i think it was 10 or 12 people who came uh, from barcelona and uh, when i arrived to the finish line i left the slide in the track I jump into the stands and I give a hug to each, each one. No, and and I was crying because it was four years uh, with two surgeries, with a lot of uh, money that I invest, a lot of uh, hard moments alone in the middle of nowhere, uh, sleeping in the airports. Uh, once I had a crash with the car, and so one needs to put my car inside the road because I don't have winter tires. So it was so many things that only my family knows how hard was it and. And to share this magic moment with, with them was completely amazing. No, so Olympics is not about result. It's not a, about having a tattoo in your in your <laughs> arm or in your leg. It's, it's something that you will have always in your heart, and no one can steal this. No one. Yeah, of course, and that must have been amazing, like you said, sharing that also with the people that you love, and that's been there and supporting you, like to get there and to get to that point. Um, how was it as well? I mean, you were the first, you know, Spanish um, Olympic skeleton pilot. How was that to represent your country essentially at that at that level? Well, it, it was crazy. It was amazing. Uh, with my psychologist, uh, we we tried to prepare for some media people, and I remember doing like four or five sessions, uh, working on different questions, how to give uh, the right message, how you need to explain. Uh, the feelings, how all all these things that I think every athlete should prepare when when it goes to Olympic or when you when they need to talk to the media. But I will never forget that at the end of the these two weeks, uh, the week or the two weeks before and the week of the Olympic Games, I did like 150 interviews. It was completely crazy. So uh, you can see the name everywhere in newspapers, TVs, and. Uh, it was completely amazing. Four years ago, no one knows what's the skeleton. And four years after, a lot of uh, F1 fans from Spain, people who love the speed, were watching the race. 
and uh, also I got some message at four five o'clock in the morning in Barcelona because uh, people were watching the race in a disco so it was it was completely a crazy situation it was nice uh, for me this is a consequence of what we did because it was not only me you know it was always a team uh, but the most important thing is that we achieved the goal and uh, these are consequences are fun but the important thing is that we were there yeah exactly exactly but did you feel any pressure you know um going there like being the first one having a lot of media a lot of people you know reaching out watching you Yes, uh, the pressure is always there and uh, the pressure was especially when I was uh, racing and I told my family we'll go to the Olympics and I didn't get the, the, uh, the qualification until the last moment. So this was hard. Once you are there, it's, it's, it's pressure. But uh, I always had the, the, the opportunity or the chance, I don't know how to say it, I always had the feeling that the pressure is something that you can create by yourself. Of course, people want the best from you, but you are able to open or to close this window from outside. So if you want to feel the pressure, you can feel it. If you don't want, not. But your best or your worst enemy is yourself. So at the end, uh, the pressure is by yourself. And of course, people want results. And they, after the games, you need to go for a medal and all these things. But uh, they don't know the reality. They don't know how much it costs to arrive to the game. So if you are able to open and close this window whenever you need it, I think you can handle the pressure. So it was hard. You feel the pressure. But I think we were trained for this. And we did a great job in the mental way. I'm sure about this. Okay. That's that's good then. Like you said, I mean, I guess also with time, the more times you do it, you probably get more comfortable and know how to handle it. Like, you know, it was probably different your third time, for example, in the Olympics compared to the, to the first time, maybe. Yes. Yes and no, because uh, for me, the media and uh, people who wants to interviews, I had the feeling or the philosophy of having them like uh, part of my family. For example, in my home, my mom was always cooking uh, one or two uh, more uh, plates because uh, you never know who's coming for lunch. So there was always food at home. Uh, if you come at three, hey, someone is coming. No problem. I just have uh, some extra pasta. So I took this philosophy with me to the sport. So if someone wants a question, when I finish training, I don't care to be 5, 10, 15 minutes. And they are human. They are persons. You, can, you, you will have a relationship with him. Of course, it will be a professional relationship, but they are doing their work. So I can help them to do his work. He will help me to do mine. So this is how I took. And I think this was a good way to, to handle the pressure. And you need to be really clear when you can do it. And what you need to say in each moment. If I say when I arrive to Olympic Games, I will win a medal, uh, this is going to be a big problem for me and for my team and, and for the media because they will trust me. And then if I fail, it will be a big problem. So you need to be realistic and, and talk with your own words and don't try to be someone that you are. And I think these are the points that will help you to handle everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that totally makes sense, for sure. Um, and I mean, aside from the Olympics, you, you do a lot of other competitions as well, of course. And um, earlier this year, you became the first European to become a two-time uh, North American Cup overall champion. Uh, you, your first time was in the 2015-2016 season. And then this year was, uh, yeah, the second one. So how did that feel? Is that something that means a lot to you? Yes, because uh, this year I started with an injury and uh, to do the America's Cup competition was uh, more like a, 
a preseason competition uh, this year. Also, I started as a coach with the new kids, so I was also to be with them and help them. But uh, we decided in the last moment to to go, to go for it, and uh, it was hard because uh, my baby, he's now seven months old, uh, Kai, uh, was born on three of December and forty eight hours of his. Uh, moment I flew away to Lake Plessy to to fight for the medals and uh, this uh, to Park City sorry to fight for the medals and this was was hard to leave uh, uh, the mom and the baby <laughs> at home you know, at the hospital and fly away and, and this is uh, why I really think we tried to do it and then in January was also crazy because I think we flew on Monday to New York we drove to Lake Placid five or six hours and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday training, Friday and Saturday racing and then I won the overall and then Sunday come back. So it was completely a, a crazy season with a crazy calendar. And I'm really proud to win uh, the second time the overall because uh, for a Spanish guy who can compete with the best Americans and the best Canadians and, and a lot of good athletes in this competition. So Chinese were really strong at this point too. Uh, it's, it's something that only one athlete from North America, from USA, Zach Lan, uh, did once. Uh, so not so many people have, well, only him and me has two times the overall. So that means it's a really, really difficult competition and not so many athletes uh, had the opportunity to win this overall competition, so I'm I'm really happy. Uh, and, uh, I wish that uh, Spain uh, has the capacity to understand how much it costs to win. But again, it's not a winter country, so it's difficult to understand what it means to to win a overall competition. Yeah, yeah, of course. But like you say, it is really it is truly a great achievement. Especially like you said, it's only you and one other guy who's done it, and you're the first European. So it's it's definitely definitely a big thing. Um, and I mean, looking at all this hard work that you put into it, you know, traveling and um, competing, how do you measure success? Is it like the medals that you win, the, um, you know, doing what you love or is it that you get to travel? What is it that, you know, is the most important for you? Oof, it's, it's, I think it's a mix of everything because you need to love the sport through these 16 seasons. Uh, you need to have a motivation to keep improving and to keep winning. Because when you are 37 years old and you won the world uh, in North America, it means that you still have the fire inside. But I think the most important thing and why I keep loving to, to slide down is once you get on your helmet, everything stops. It's you, the sled, the helmet, and you just go down. And it doesn't care if it's Olympic Games, doesn't care if it's a World Cup, doesn't care if it's World Championship or just a training. It's this feeling, it's this uh, sliding, it's this... Uh, I always say to my kids, uh, sliding is like create, like painting a, a picture, a, a Picasso. You need to be an artist. You need to feel the eyes. You need to feel what's going on. You need to be concentrated. And sometimes you will cry. Sometimes no. Sometimes you will find the limit. Sometimes you will have the perfect line. But this is part of the art. You always, you never will have the same rune. You will have more similar runes, but you never will repeat the same rune in the skeleton because the ice conditions will be different because the push will be different, because the line will be a little bit different. So if you can find your line, your, your art style, you will have uh, a good future in this sport. So all these things, it's why a skeleton is completely uh, amazing feeling and something that I will be really, really sad when I stop sliding and I will be, will be afraid to find where I can, will be able to find something like this because... Uh, 
it's, it's difficult to explain, but uh, once I retire, I don't know how I will find something that makes me that happy. So if you have to look back, you know, so far, um, or yeah, up until this point in your career, would you be able to pick like a, like a favorite memory or a favorite moment? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, one of the things I was working uh, with a mental coach and I was working with uh, hypnosis, you know, and Moises, when uh, they, they sleep you and uh, you need to, uh, relax and uh, well hypnosis uh, people think hypnosis like the magician's tricks that they sleep you and you you act like a dog this is completely the magic show i'm talking both about the hypnosis of uh, the clinical hypnosis hypnosis for other things for sport and uh, when you work on with these professionals they ask you to choose special moments so one of my special special moments is when i won the america's cup 2015-16 with uh, my brother uh, Tony, uh, he came with me because he was uh, he he finished his PhD and he was trying to find a, a job as a microbiology doctor. And he told me, "Okay, I can send all the information by computer. I help you with coaching." And we went together, and suddenly we were winning the Americas Cup. And it happens a lot of weird things because we were Spanish, and it, it was quite hard this this competition. So the first thing what I did it was give him a hug. And it was this hug and this uh, happiness of winning was amazing. And another magic moment, it's, it's a little bit personal, but I think you deserve to know that. Uh, the, Olymp the last Olympic Games, uh, it was a really hard season. Uh, my mom uh, passed away two months after the Olympics in Pyeongchang. And uh, six, seven months before, I think it was in August, uh, they told her that she had a cancer. So it was pretty hard to leave home and call her because I will never know if once I get back, she will be there. And she told me, Ander, don't worry. I will come with you to the Olympic Games. Whatever I need to do, I, I will do it. But you need to qualify. So this was the hardest moment because I got a lot of pressure this season to get to the Olympics. And the sport is not mathematics. People are better than you and they beat you. If they beat you, you will not go to the Games. But I, it was so hard. So the moment after finishing the race and giving her a hug because she was going to uh, Pyeongchang, uh, Korea from Barcelona in not a really good health, really, really, she was really weak and give her a hug and a kiss and, and cry with her and uh, enjoy this moment was completely amazing, no? And, uh, and you find out that uh, sport is more than a result. Sport is, is a feeling, is, is emotional, is family and uh, when you can share the good and especially the the, the bad moments with them, this is completely amazing. No, so if I need to choose these moments, uh, they are related with my family. But I think uh, this is what I think it makes sense in your life. We are here to create a family. We are here in this life to enjoy. But if you can share your good moments with people, it makes special. So these special moments sharing with my mom and with my brother and with my family were completely amazing. So I will took these uh, two moments. Yeah, of course, that, that makes sense. I can, I can definitely understand that. It sounds like great times, like you said, um, despite the difficulty, be, the difficulty of the, the situation, you know, being able to, to share that, share that with them. Yes, because, uh, one of the problems that we have in our sport and people who watch, uh, on TV is that they only see the first, the second, and the third. But sometimes the people who finish 23rd to 21st, uh, it's, it's, it's better or it's, it's an amazing job because, uh, you never know what's behind this athlete. And, 
and uh, we always forget uh, what's going on on the sport life from each one. No, and I think our society is moving to a Facebook uh, life where the first thing what you do when you arrive uh, to, for example, I know a lot of athletes when they race their 10 kilometers race every weekend. The first thing that what they do is to post uh, the time and the position. When the people wants to show their life in in the in this way, uh, we are losing the value of everything. No, so. I think we need to read more behind the athletes. We need to show the histories from the athletes because this makes uh, sense and makes it special and uh, give you the chance to meet them from the other side. They are not machines. They are humans and every human has uh, feelings. So why not to show them their histories? No? And this is one of the things I would love people understand from the athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's part of why we like doing these, you know, interviews or these discussions as well. I know, I know it. That's, that's why I'm saying it. So I'm happy to be here because you are someone who wants to find out more about the sport or the athlete, not only about the medals or, or the championships. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, like you said, everyone has a different story. And many times if you just watch the TV and you watch, you know, the interviews after a race, all you get to hear is, okay, how is the form? How are you doing? Like, it's very short, but it's difficult to watch that and really see everything that goes on behind, you know, like you said, behind the medals and, and all the stories, all the sacrifice, all the challenges. So it's, it's, you know, it's important to understand that, that part of it as well. It's not something that comes, comes for free or that's super easy, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's very interesting. Yes. So thank you for your job. No, thank you. And, um, I mean, these past few months, um, especially have been quite difficult for, for all of us as well. And with you being in Spain, um, and you know, Spain being in lockdown, having the quarantine, and you said in the beginning of the year, you have had some injuries as well. Um, how has this been for you? I mean, how has it impacted you? Well, uh, there are two different impacts. The first of all is uh, a really positive impact. So I had the chance to see my baby grow up and I was three, four months at home that I didn't expect because I was working at this time for a league in Madrid. So normal life, I should go every week to there. But uh, the situation gave me the opportunity to be with my family and see how the baby was growing up and improving and, and stop a little bit and think uh, what's the important things in the life. So I think it was uh, uh, a mental travel, a meditation moment, a restart uh, of my life. So I think it's good. And in the other side, uh, a little bit upset because I think uh, from this point to now, everything is changing. Uh, we don't know who have season. I was training in a small apartment uh, without uh, resources. And... Uh, it's hard also when you see a lot of people dying and a lot of crazy people don't respect in the, the rules. So you see one side from the society that uh, I don't like it and it's horrible. But from the from other side, when I close the door from my apartment, I see my family and it's completely amazing. No? So I took the positive part and I think in the mental way, it makes me different. It makes me give me another tools to improve myself. And... I'm happy. I think it was a positive time at home. Okay. Okay. That's, that's great. Of course. I mean, like you said, we all, we all have these, you know, moments of, um, yeah, tough times or challenges and things that we get through. But if you can see the positive instead, then that's, that's definitely going to help you. Yes. There is always positive and bad things. And, uh, you can choose in which side you want to, you want to be. I, I don't say you need to avoid the negative things. The negative things are part of our life and we need to manage them. 
And this is one of the key points from, from the sports career. You need to understand that you will never be able to win all the races. You will have injuries. You will have problems. So why not learn to manage all the bad things and keep the positive things as a big uh, award? And, and this is how I try to survive during the, the, the situation and the lockdown and, and all the bad news that I was getting from families and from friends, coaches that they passed away and say, okay, I'm still here. I need to enjoy for the people who are not here anymore. So let's, let's have fun. And that's why we are now here in Germany. Uh, we have the opportunity to be here to train. We need to keep going. We cannot stop. The life goes on. Yeah, yeah, of course. So if you were to look back on your career so far, what would you say has been the biggest challenge that you had to face and, and get through? Oof, that's a hard question. Uh, the big challenge, it was uh, to survive uh, in different teams. So when I was uh, in the first uh, four years, I was with Uli as a coach, but between 2010 and 2014, uh, my federation thought that the best way to improve is to be with the British, then with the Swiss, then with the Austrians. So I think the best or the hardest challenge is uh, to be one of them in their team without being Austrian or British or, or Swiss. Uh, they have their own culture. I have my own way to do things. This time was really, really hard because uh, they tried to treat me as one of them. But uh, they, they, they weren't. I was never one of them. I was a Spanish with my uh, style, with my way to understand the life, and uh, a lot of great athletes I had uh, with me during these seasons. But this was one was not working. But on the other side, in the positive way, I learned a lot of from from the best teams in Europe, and this gave me the opportunity to create my own team since 2014 to now. And this is how we are doing the things. No, so. It was hard to be a Swiss athlete <laughs> during that time. It was hard to be a British athlete and it was uh, hard to be Austrian. Uh, I, I did it because I need to, but uh, uh, when you are a Spanish, Spain is completely different. You're living there and <laughs> we are really different people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. That's, that's normal, absolutely. So now you have your own team. That's, I mean, it, it's true, of course. Like you said, even if you're a part of the team, it's, it's I guess, different when you're not from the actual same country so it's a different feeling when you have your own you know spanish but the way the way to explain the corners the way to explain the results uh, the way to understand the sport the, for me the situation to be an athlete it was amazing for them sometimes it's like like a job it, and you, you cannot on take the sport as a job it's a sport it's different of course they get money and they get a salary and they need results and they get the pressure but they, this doesn't mean you need to do it as, as a job. You need to use another resources. Uh, and it's, it's difficult. Uh, it's, it's, it's a mental thing. It's a cultural thing. It's a way to do things. And a lot of countries, they were working as 20, 30 years ago. And this should change. But uh, it's good to be with them and to learn. But it's, uh, it was just a hard time at this point. Yeah, yeah, of course, I understand that. And I mean, you spoke a little bit about injuries as well. Um, how have you tackled that, like during your career, getting injured um, and not being able to compete? Well, uh, the hardest one were the two times I went to the hospital and had surgery, one in my collarbone, another one in my finger. So it was more a mental uh, challenge. For example, once I get the crash in, in my collarbone, and my goal was uh, to get the surgery as soon as possible and start the rehabilitation as soon as possible. I was not thinking the points. I was not thinking about when we'll be back on the ice. And uh, this how was how I was doing everything. No, the same 
when I had uh, torn my uh, ACL in my knee. So it was also the, the same situation. No, everything stops. Your focus and your goal is your injury, and you try to work as hard as you can to improve every day. Sometimes it's it's one degree of movement. Sometimes it's to feel less pain. Sometimes it's is to smile sometimes. And uh, if you are able to smile when you have an injury, you do a big step. No? So we try to put uh, different challenges every day and every week without thinking on the sport, without thinking the qualification. And I think this was uh, the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean, like you said in the beginning, also when you do skeleton, it's really going, you know, head first um, down the ice. So there's obviously you're going really fast, like up to, I'm not sure what the maximum is, but hundreds of kilometers um, per hour. So there, there are some risks involved. Have you ever been, you know, scared of injuring yourself when you, when you do it? Well, scared? No, I think when you are scared or afraid, you do a, a step backwards and you cannot slide because you need to be relaxed on the sled. So if you are really tense and you're really, you're really uh, scared, you will not be able to slide and then you will crash. So, but there are a few moments in my career that was really hard in the mental way. Uh, first of them was uh, in Chisana in the qualification year. I had a crash. I just, I think it was quarter five, quarter six. I just took the right, uh, the wrong decision and uh, I should turn down and I turned up. I don't know why. Then I hit with my head into the roof. I turned around. So my legs were first. My head was looking to the wrong direction. I jumped and away and then I wake up in the in the ice and I lie to the doctor to slide the next day and they, they give me the green light and uh, I finished the race uh, second last. I didn't finish last, so it was a pretty amazing result with uh, a problem in the ribs. The knee was uh, as big as two knees, so it was hard. But uh, one of the important things in our sport is once you crash, you need to stand up as soon as possible and try to slide down. No, And another hard moment was in Vancouver when... Uh, uh, the loose guy from Georgia died, and uh, we need to slide in the same track. So uh, it's 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 a hard moment because uh, you are doing what what something that you love, but there is always a risk. And uh, when you slide down 145 kilometers per hour, uh, there is always a risk. But uh, I think every year and every season, the the tracks are more safety, are more like a highways, and uh, we can see the speeds are getting higher and higher but uh, the crashes are less and less so uh, this is a good thing but uh, you need to be ready and, and understand uh, I always had a, a sentence interesting sentence that um, um, if you want to be one of the best athletes you need to play with the limit and uh, if you cross so many times the limit you will become a crazy guy and you will finish in the hospital but if you are really below the limit uh, you will never achieve your your goal so you always need to go to to this age and play around to, to be one of the best. So uh, this always is a, a mental thing because you are always uh, taking decisions and it's not always easy. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I I would like to say that I can imagine, but I, I can't imagine, you know, what it is actually that you're doing. Uh <laughs> Come on, one day. You should try it one day. We can organize something. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, I was, you know, watching some, some videos and everything and... I, I mean, for me, it must be like a crazy adrenaline kick, you know, when you're doing this. And it's probably what you described earlier, that it's going to be difficult whenever you don't do it anymore to find something that, that gives you, you know, this same feeling. Yeah, it's like this. But uh, if you want to try, my father tried uh, uh, from corner, I think, 11 or, six, or 12 to, to 17 in Lake Placid. 
and uh, there's a lot of touristic trips so if you want one day i can uh, give you some tips and uh, you can come to some track and slide to like four or five corners and see what's going on wow yeah maybe maybe i'll try to do that <laughs> that would be cool uh, yeah absolutely cool <laughs> Then you need to teach me a little bit about, you know, the mental part and the mental proper preparation that, that goes into that. Um, I mean, if I were to do it, you know, a few corners, I guess that would be less mental preparation. But I mean, for you, how, how much do you prepare? Like, what role does that play? A lot. I always try. It's one of my favorite uh, uh, gyms. <laughs> People think that you need to train and move weights. It's important. But the mental thing, it's always... Uh, important and we eat a lot of crazy things to train our mind uh, remember one uh, this is a really funny history but it, it was interesting uh, we have one of one of our problems is that we slide from october to march so from march to october we don't have any competitions no and and uh, one time to prepare the olympic games i think it was from from sochi or i don't remember from pyeongchang i think it was from pyeongchang and uh, i decide to to move out from my comfort zone. Say, so, okay, how I can move out from my comfort zone in the summertime? I should find something crazy. So what I did, I turned on in a casting of a TV show. Uh, this TV show was about magicians. I did uh, three months of uh, magician tricks to learn how to be a magician. So I went directly to the TV show. It was really hard because during one week I was training everywhere in the restaurant, in a bar, uh, people outside of the streets, if they see the trick or not, if I was a good magician. So I was trying to bring myself in a, in a stress moment during two, three, four days and move out from the, comf from the comfort zone. No? So I did the, the show, uh, it was one minute or two minutes in front of the three best magicians in Spain. And uh, they asked me, okay, Ander, why are you here? And when I finish, I say, I don't care if I go into the show or not. I'm really happy because I achieved my goal. And they were really shocked to say, why? Because my goal was to arrive to this point and try to do my best performance in front of you. You were happy. I don't know if I will move on. But I think it was good, no? Yeah, yeah, the trick was good. So we are like, uh, maybe it should be. Next season, uh, they called me to be in the show directly without casting. So I think it was not too bad, no? But uh, it was a hard moment because uh, before the performance, I went 10 times to the toilet. I drank one liter of water. So the same stress as sometimes as a competition, no? And, and this was uh, a good training in the mental way, no? And we try to find different ways to train our mental with hypnosis. Uh, we try with uh, different coaches. Uh, we, we try to uh, do small competitions during training, uh, achieve different things. So we try to, to read and talk with the people who can give you tools. And what I think about the mental wall is that you have a pack and you have all the resources and your tools in your pack. So whenever you need something, you need to know how to use this and, and try it. So uh, I think it's a really interesting thing that a lot of people should try and, and prepare because it's not only about the sport, it can be about the company, it can be about a lot of things, no? So um, we should train more our minds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess, you know, the only difference is that when you do skeleton, you don't have as much time to think about your decisions and all these type of things. So you need to train your mind to be able to make those decisions quickly. <laughs> no, no, no. You, 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 have, you have a lot of time because when you fly down, you have the feeling that you are going in slow motion. From outside, you go 145. But uh, when you fly down, you, you can feel and you can... Uh, 
it's not the real world, but you can touch the ice with with your with everything. Your sled is a part of your body, so you're touching the ice consistency. I constantly so. Uh, I think everything goes really slow when you are sliding down. And, uh, you see a lot of things, so it's uh, important to train your mind because you don't have so much time to decide, but you have a lot of time to to feel what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, of course. <laughs> but um, yeah, you spoke before, you know, also a lot about your family and that they've been supporting you um, throughout your career when you started and also in competitions. So. If we speak a little bit about like motivation, inspiration, what would you say is, I mean, what was your biggest inspiration when you started? What is your biggest inspiration now? Is it your family that motivates you or, or other things? Well, I think my family is always important thing, but it's, no, it's not my motivation. It's not, I'm not doing a skeleton because my family, I'm, I'm happy to share everything with my family because it makes everything more valuable, more important and more magic. Uh, so if I need to say some uh, motivational things, I will say all these histories that uh, has each one uh, in their normal life. I don't have, of course, I, I really am happy to see Michael Jordan. I'm happy to see Rafa Nadal, how they train, and they are amazing athletes. But uh, for me, it makes more sense and more motivation when I'm able to talk with a father or with a mother who is having a family who has a job, who has trying to find time to train and achieve their goals. Say, hey, I started like them. They are doing the same. And their goal maybe is to finish a, a 10K race. Or their, their goal is to, to play the Friday night with a, a team a football game. So when, when you are able to find time of your normal life to train and to fight for your goals, these for me are the amazing, amazing histories. No, uh, also a lot of people with handicap uh, life, or they have handicap situations that they are really, really amazing histories behind them. No, so it's not always about the people who are in the books or people who are in uh, in the TV. Is for me the motivation is more the people who lives uh, their normal life and they find out time to achieve their sport goals. These for me are my motivation people that they are real, really heroes. Yeah, yeah, okay. So when you are, you know, at your toughest moments and you have a lot going on with skeleton and everything, is that, you know, what keeps you going? What keeps you, you know, uh, motivated to push through even even through challenges and obstacles? Well, in the hardest moments, of course, the family, uh, because you feel the love and uh, you need a hug or you need a kiss and they are next to you. But uh, a lot of times, one of the things I try to do as much as I can is to go to the schools and teach them the values of the sport and explain my history and what happened uh, in my life, how I did it to arrive to the Olympic Games. And when you see these kids looking to you as, as a teacher or as, as sometimes uh, someone who's coming from another planet, you really find out that you are doing something amazing. And it's not about winning or losing. It's about creating a history who a lot of people will be able to, to learn or to use as... Uh, uh, a tool to improve their lives, no. And I think sport is a good tool to teach uh, the new generations, no. So this was also one of my motivations, no. But uh, the biggest motivation, of course, is, is to achieve your own goals and to fight for them. It's not always uh, achieving them; it's more about fighting. I cannot stop now. I cannot uh, uh, fall down and stay down. I need to stand up. All these things is what they make me go on and go on. It's, skeleton is uh, 
a lone sport. A lot of moments you are traveling to the other side of the world and you are 10 hours in a plane. What do you do 10 hours in this plane? Think in yourself, find out why are you doing this and uh, find extra motivation. It's not always about uh, winning or losing or finding the motivation in your family. It's about yourself. So if you don't have this fire, it's, it's difficult. And, and when you have this fire, you, you are able to, to do whatever you need to do to find out uh, the solution or to recover from injury. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you said before um, that you've been, you know, involved in sports basically your whole life, first playing football and then also doing track and field before moving to skeleton. And you spoke about, you know, um, sports being really good for, for teaching you things. So what would you say that sports and maybe specifically skeleton has taught you in your life? Well, a lot of things. Uh, first of all, uh, that uh, the life is is amazing. That we are lucky to to be here and to enjoy and to meet a lot of people and to meet a lot of cultures and learn from them. This is one of the the most important things that I learned. Is not always about winning or losing. It's about uh, living experience and learning from them. I think this is one of the key points. And of course, uh, all what sport is giving to me is like consistency. Uh, motivation, uh, creativity. I think all these things are important, and this is what I try to to teach to the to the new generations and to the kids. It's not always about winning or losing. This is a consequence of, of your work and the consequence of what the other athletes did uh, against you. It's uh, all about what you can do every day to do it better. And if you can improve, improve, you will achieve your goal. Sometimes your goal is not to be first; is to qualify for the second round to be top 20 or to qualify for the games or to qualify for America's Cup. And and this is uh, what makes sense in our sports life. If you don't think like this, maybe you can survive one, two, three, four years, but you will be born out and you will never come back to sport life. Yeah, true. That makes total sense. Like you said, it's not always about maybe like winning everything. It's about the small steps like qualifying or finishing top 20, stuff like this. It can be different goals. Even, even... Even uh, in a training, uh, to, to improve your training time or to fix this corner that you are having troubles or even uh, to fight in your mental way because you are a little bit uh, afraid of this corner and to fight uh, about the limit line. So it's all these small details make sense in the, in the, in the life. And this is these details, it makes uh, amazing uh, when amazing feeling when you achieve your goals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like you said before, now you have a kid yourself. So, you know, um, from this um, like perspective of being a parent now, do you think it's important that kids are given the opportunity to, to play sports from a young age and get involved with sports in different ways? Yes. Uh, also, uh, my wife, Irina, she's a synchronized uh, swimming coach. She's a, she, she was a silver medalist in synchronized swimming. I recommend her to, to do an interview. Uh, she has an amazing, amazing history. And uh, as we understand, a sport, a sport is something uh, that the kids need to try to enjoy the life and to learn about uh, the life uh, using the sport. You can learn in the school. You can learn at home with the family. But of course, and especially, you can learn a lot when you practice a sport. It doesn't care or it's not important if it's football if it's a skeleton if it's corfball if it's a lacrosse uh, the important thing is that they they practice sport and they have relation with other uh, athletes teammates coaches and all the things that the sport can give to them uh, will be important and the most important thing is to have fun 
if you don't have fun, uh, you'll be done and you will never enjoy. So you can have fun playing golf. You can have fun uh, playing beach volleyball. It's, it's, I always think and when I was working in La Liga, in La Liga sports, uh, there is no a big sport or sport more important than another one. Every sport has a magic thing. Every sport has something special. Uh, one of the lastest, latest sports that I was practicing was under hockey, no, hockey underwater. Uh, I did a TV show in, in the Spanish TV, and uh, this TV show had uh, has 13 chapters, and every chapter we talk about one sport. And I practice this sport. So we play Quidditch, you know, the Harry Potter uh, uh, <laughs> sport. We play dirt jump, uh, parkour, and uh, underwater hockey. So when I saw the families bringing the kids to play underwater hockey, it was it was amazing. They fall in love with this sport. So why this sport is minus than the other one or less important than the other one? It's not true. This is not like this. Every sport has its magic things. Is important things, and this is what we need to show to the to the new generations. It's not about football or basketball; it's about having fun doing uh, your sport. Yeah, definitely, I definitely agree. And I mean, talking about kids playing sports, and um, you know, you being a professional athlete, do you see yourself as a role model and someone who can inspire them to play sports? Oof, I don't know. I think maybe, maybe yes, maybe not. I don't know how are the other role models. Uh, but one of the things that I always say in all interviews that uh, in Spain, our system works uh, that uh, the Spanish government is giving the money to the federation. So the federation can pay the travel and all the things for the athletes. So the Spanish government is getting the money from all the people who live in Spain. So how I can return all the money that I got to practice sport? So the best way is going to the schools and, and show them what I did in my sports career so if all the athletes who compete for spain who were in the olympic games were able to go once a week once a month to the different schools i think we all will be role models and we will teach a lot to the new kids and this uh, system or this project i hope one day the spanish government can create it because uh, this will be another way to teach and and show and the new kids will learn a lot from the sports athletes and this is another way to say thanks to the Spanish society. Yes, definitely. I mean, that would be a great way to to give back, like you said, but is that something that you do by yourself now or is that an initiative with other athletes or? No, no, I do it by myself. Uh, it's difficult. I have a lot of calls and emails from different schools. It's difficult to organize the agenda. Uh, I never say no, so I, I don't know how many schools I did already in my sports career. But I always go to all the schools. I never ask for money because I think it's a way to to give back all what I'm getting from the Spanish government and the Spanish society. So I think this should be something usual in, in all the countries because at the end, they saw us in TV. And once you are there and say, hey, it's under the one who was lying. I saw him in the TV. So it's, it's amazing how much you can teach. I did a uh, school before the quarantine. and. Uh, it was amazing because uh, they, during three months, they used the skeleton as a, a learning project. So if you are doing mathematics, you are learning uh, the ground force, the times, uh, the speeds. If you are uh, doing a skeleton with a language, uh, so they were learning English words. Uh, if you do the countries, they were uh, putting in a map 
or the situation of every track in the world. <clears throat> so at the end, uh, you can use the skeleton as an excuse to learn from all the different signatures. And, and this was amazing, no? And I remember uh, I was, uh, I should go, well, it, I got the invitation to go to a school during the, the quarantine and it was impossible because in Barcelona was everything locked down. So we did like, a, a, um, how do you say, I interviewed with all the kids, like a press conference. So during an hour and a half, they were asking questions and like, I'm the media from blah, blah, blah. I would like you to ask you. So there were kids from 12, 13 years old and it was super fun. And uh, they learned a lot from my, my experience. And I was uh, super happy to, to show what I was learning during these 16 seasons. No, at the end is another way to teach. And I think we should use this uh, opportunity because there are a lot of athletes in Spain who will be able to give a lot to the, to the new generations. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said before, too, when you when you go to see the kids like this, they realize that it's not, you know, superhumans. It's just athletes are humans. They are normal people, but they're following their dreams and they're working hard. So by going there in person, that probably gives them another perspective, maybe, you know, than just seeing it on, on TV, I guess. Yes, and they listen to you sometimes more than the teacher because the teacher, they saw, they saw him every day or they saw her every day and it's difficult, no? But uh, you try to show them that you are a normal, that you train as, as, a, as a normal athlete, that you cry, that you have fun, that you have injuries, that you have good results, that you have bad results. And uh, you try to teach them the consistency, the creativity, the leadership, to be a good teammate, to help the other one. Because if you help your teammate, you will be better, not about helping. Because if you can improve, you will be able to improve. So all these small details are important and the best way sometimes to, to show and to teach them is to see to to be with someone who has been uh, doing it no so i think it's a good thing that we should do more often in in spain yeah yeah and when it comes to to skeleton i mean um, you've been working a bit to to grow the sport during the past few years um where do you see the future in skeleton or future of skeleton in spain um, specifically well, I was really shocked. Uh, <laughs> we did a uh, casting uh, season after the Olympics. We are, I think it was 2019 or 18, 18, uh, December, November 18. We did a uh, casting and we got 110 uh, uh, emails, uh, entry forms to do skeleton. It was completely crazy, 110. It was a big history in the news in Spain. And we took the best 11. Uh, um, there were two, one girl and one boy, they were under 16. So we also were not able to give them the opportunity to slide down. So we took the best nine over this 110 uh, to Austria and to Switzerland to slide down. And after that, uh, Paula and Adriana were the two best athletes, one woman and one man. And this is now the, the new project and the new kids. And we will try to bring more people. So that shows that even if we, we are not a winter country, uh, people want to try a skeleton, and this is good. But the problem is that we don't have the resources, we don't have the tools. Uh, we are again in Spain, and it's easier to play beach volleyball to move to Austria and slide down. But I'm happy, and uh, and I think we are doing a great job. Uh, also, one of the key points will be uh, the Olympic Games in uh, Pyrenees. Uh, that's the mountains that we have two hours from Barcelona. Uh, they're gonna fight for the, the Winter Olympic Games. And this can give us an opportunity to keep growing the sport. And uh, it, it's amazing. When I see and I look down, uh, look back, sorry, 
16 seasons ago when I started, no one's know anything about the skeleton. Now, if you go outside in the street and you ask for a skeleton, uh, probably they will uh, tell you a lot of people what means a skeleton. And this is an amazing achievement, more than what I was thinking. Uh, if you tell me you will be at two, you will arrive to three Olympic Games and uh, people will know what's skeleton, I will say that's impossible. And this is what is happening at the moment. Yeah, that's that's great. Absolutely. And I mean, what um, what are you looking to do essentially when you can't or when you can't, but when you choose not to compete anymore? Are you looking to still be involved with the sport and coach or? Well, I I, I don't know. It's it's a difficult question. I, I wish I, I will I will know. I got uh, a few offers to be coached from another nations, big nations that they love or they like how I understand the sport. Uh, at the moment, at home uh, in Spain, I'm doing. Uh, uh, I'm doing. I'm an athlete. I'm also a coach and also a sports director for skeletons. So I'm doing three jobs at the moment. Uh, but of course, Spain doesn't have the resources and the tools. And uh, once I finish, we will see what happens with the sport. Uh, that's one of my my dreams uh, to leave the path, to leave the way clear, so more people can go on, keep sliding fight for dream to be an Olympic athlete in a skeleton. Maybe Paula, one of the women that we have. Maybe Adrian also will be in the next Olympic Games. But in my personal thing, uh, also I got an offer to be in a football club in, uh, in the second division and also in the first uh, division from La Liga. So maybe I move to another sport. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a good question. Uh, what I'm trying to do is... is yeah, what I'm doing, trying to do now is to prepare myself for whatever it comes, try to enjoy day by day. Uh, last year, I finished my master's degree uh, in sports uh, director, sports director from football, master's degree. So, I don't know, we will see. Uh, I think it's not important, but what needs to be important is to be ready to, to find out what I want to do. So now I just put all the cards on the table and just keep playing and when I find out I, I will decide I'm 100% sure about this yeah yeah of course it's not it's not quite uh, time to do that yet I guess but you never know when is the time but you need to you need to be ready this is what I'm gonna do the next the next days weeks months years uh, my goal now is try to be in the next Olympic Games uh, but during these uh, next two years I need to be ready because you never know what will happen so it can be an injury, it can be an illness, it can be a motivation, a problem of motivation. And one of the things that I have 100% clear, I don't want to be hanging around the sport just for fun, just to be there. Uh, we need to achieve the goals, we need to be competitive. And uh, this is an important thing. So we need to be ready because you never know when will be the last moment. So this is uh, my goal at the moment. Be ready, enjoy every moment, slide as good as I can every day and try to achieve the goal to be the next Olympic Games. But in the next two years, we need to be ready. Okay, okay. That sounds, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> it sounds like you know what you want to do. But like you said, it's about being ready and then you can't, you can't really decide. You never know exactly what's going to happen. So it's, yeah. Yeah, because for example, if it comes uh, one of the best teams in La Liga and they say, Ander, I want you as this, as a sports director from my football club, what are you going to say? <laughs> it's difficult to say no, for example. No, so I don't want to lie to anyone, no? And uh, until uh, two months ago, I was working in La Liga 
and it was a great experience. It was six years there in the best sports company in Spain, La Liga. Uh, so you have a lot of contacts from different clubs and a lot of people know you. So you, ne you never know, no? And uh, I know what's going on now. And I need to enjoy this moment and keep going and fighting for my goal. But uh, you also know, you know what's going to happen with uh, the sports calendar this year. You don't know if it will be season, will be not season, if we will kind of slide, we will not be able to slide. So, again, you need to be ready for everything. You cannot plan anything at the moment. Of course. And do you think as well, you know, uh, with becoming a father, has that changed, you know, how you see things? Has that impacted you and your career in any ways? Well, I was afraid because there is a legend that says if you are a father, you slide slower and you drive slower. And I know a lot of F1 pilots that they say, now you are a father. You slide one tenth slower, or you drive one tenth slower. No, I think at the moment I'm sliding as good as ever, so I'm happy with this. Uh, of course, it's harder to be out of home. It's harder to miss Irina and the baby Kai. Uh, but uh, they Irina meet me as a skeleton athlete, so she knows what it means to be a sport uh, athlete. She she has a, a silver medal in in the Olympic Games, so. She knows uh, better than no one who means to be traveling and training every day. But on the other side, you have a family, you have a responsibility, and of course, uh, it's, it's a little bit harder in the in the emotional way and sometimes in the mental. But uh, uh, this is what it is, and that's uh, our life. So it's okay. 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 Well, that's good. <laughs> and like you said, it's it's good too if uh, you know your wife also has that type of experience. It's probably easier to to understand what's what you're going through as well. Yeah, it's easier to understand, but it's not easier to do it because now she's alone with the baby. And and uh, I think one of if you have the chance to, to interview with her, she will explain you how hard it is to be a mom, how hard it is to be pregnant, and uh, not and uh, when you got some offers to keep coaching and they and you told them that you are pregnant, they stop or they cancel the contracts because uh, they are afraid. But you can be pregnant and you can coach. You can be a mom and you can coach. So. It's it's uh, it's difficult. So sometimes I, I feel sorry for her because she's taking care of everything when I'm uh, away. But uh, we know the rules and uh, we we talk about this and we talk a lot. So she understands the situations and and this is how it is. And it's not a problem, but it's it's difficult because uh, I wish to be a superhero and uh, and be to uh, to work to place it at the same time, but. I don't have this uh, the magic power at the moment. I'm not Superman, so. <laughs> no, that's that's not possible, unfortunately. Of course. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask you because you wrote a book as well, um, which is called "Breaking the Ice" in in English, at least. It's not the the official Spanish title. Um, where you talk about essentially your journey, you know, becoming a, becoming a Spanish Olympic skeleton pilot. Um, what inspired you to write this book? I mean, why did you take the decision to to write to write this? <laughs> uh, well, I have the official version and the other version. So I start with the other version. <laughs> well, when I was, uh, I don't know how to say it in, in English, but when you move from the uh, the high school to the university you need to do an exams and uh, I was always having uh, five over ten in the language exams and sometimes four over ten so I was not really good in in Spanish and in Catalan 
And one day I did to my mom, don't worry, mom, I will move on to university. And one day I'm going to write the book. And she was laughing. They say, you're going to write the book, but even you can pass the exams. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to pass the exam. So this is, is one of the parts of the history. And when I made it to the Olympic Games, I was thinking, okay, I think it's time to explain all what happened. At this moment, with 150, 160 interviews after the Olympic Games was completely crazy. and. I decided to write a book and uh, they gave me different options. Uh, so do an interview when someone was writing the book for me. I say no, because I wanted to write it by myself because that was a deal with my mom. So I was not getting money for it, but it was an amazing. And the second condition, it was uh, I told them that I didn't want to do an autobiography. It's about the journey. It's about the experience, about, for example, uh, one day it was... Uh, uh, I was racing in Park City, in Salt Lake City, in Utah, in USA. And uh, it was a really important race for the Olympic qualification. And I finished in Las Vegas. So what happened if you finish in Las Vegas at uh, 11 o'clock at night and next day you have training in Salt Lake City? So you cannot do anything. So I just uh, rent a taxi for an hour. I move around the city. I play, I think it was 50, 50 euros, 100 euros. I got 300 or 400 euros. So with this money I paid entry fee for the competition and one day in the hotel or two days of my hotel and then I arrived to the competition I missed one training day and I compete uh, the next days and I did pretty well so it's all about these histories no and uh, for example one of another good things is in one of the tracks uh, I had an injury uh, I called to a massage guy uh, and he told me that the uh, next day I should go to his house because he has better resources to uh, to heal my my illness or my injury at this moment. And when I arrived to the house, uh, it was a uh, 16, 17 million euros house. So I was completely shocked. And he was taking care of a house of a producer of Hollywood. So I was completely shocked. Uh, I was living in a pension in the middle of nowhere and, and suddenly I was in a 17 million euros house. And uh, I told him my history. I said, okay, Ander, you should call to the producer. So I called to the Hollywood producer, uh, movie producers, and uh, he invited me to stay in his house for the rest of the week. So I was living in a 17 million house <laughs> for a week with my own jacuzzi, my own TV, uh, and my own uh, movie theater. Uh, yard, everything. It was completely crazy, no? But uh, these histories that uh, happens, uh, I told to my mom I should write it, and it was interesting. Also, when I had my crash and I finished in the hospital, how uh, an angel, uh, it was a nurse, she, she was taking really care of me. And uh, when I wake up from my uh, surgery, I thought it was Claudia Schiffer, no? So I was telling to the nurse Claudia Schiffer, no? So uh, after this, we had a good relationship. We were laughing and, well, all these funny things that happens in the journey to go to the games. It's not always about the results. It's always about experience. So this book is talking about all these things. So it's not only the serious stuff. It's like the fun stuff as well, everything that happened along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. also there is a chapter about uh, my nicknames. I think there are like 20 nicknames. And uh, it's it's completely crazy. For example, when I was with the British team, uh, my nickname was uh, Spanish Meatball, no? because they were always calm and everything. So I was always uh, uh, giving some spicy things to the conversation and having some fun. No? So uh, explains a lot of, of a lot of things and explains how I am uh, through the journey and through the experience.
Yeah, I didn't actually get a chance to, to read the book, but I, I want to read it. So, I mean, if anyone is listening and want to read it as well, where can they find it online or? Well, I, I, the best suggestion is that contact me uh, online. They can find it, but it's only the Spanish version. If you don't find online, uh, they can contact me. I still have, I think, 100 to 150 books at home, so I can I can find out the way to do it. Uh, it's from 2014, so I don't know if a lot of uh, uh, bookstores still have it. But if not, we'll find a way. I don't think uh, it's going to be bestseller, so I still have a chance to, to <laughs> give them some books, no problem. Okay, okay. And if anybody wants to get in contact with you or follow you and, you know, um, your training, your competition, where is the best place to do that? Is it Instagram or? Well, I'm using a lot of Twitter. Uh, my name is Andres Skeleton, the same as also in Instagram. I try to post a lot of things. And I think one of the things I love to do is uh, to chat with the people who ask me questions. I try to answer everything. Uh, they can find me also on Facebook, but I'm not really active on Facebook. And I have also my YouTube channel that I need to improve a little bit. But uh, at the moment, my best way uh, to find out what I'm doing every day and what uh, I'm talking about is uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, normally, I'm just talking about the sport. Uh, I don't like to talk about politics. I don't like to talk about other things. So uh, this is how it is. I think I miss a lot of followers because I'm really uh, strict in my rules. But uh, I think it's not about followers, it's about how you are. So I prefer to have less followers and talk about my things and post normal pictures than to post uh, naked pictures or crazy things. So I'm not this kind of uh, influencer. <laughs> okay, 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 makes sense. Well, anyways, we're going to post the, um, yeah, the links to your Twitter and your Instagram and everything in the description so, so people can find you there. Um, and actually the very last question that I, that I have for you, like we said before, this podcast is really about, you know, showing that everyone has a different story. Everyone has a unique story and especially, you know, professional athletes, they, they go through a lot more than what we always get to see. So there's a lot of people, you know, that have big dreams, old people, young people. And what advice would you like to give them in order for them to reach their goals? advice i would love to give a lot of advices but the best advice is to find their own way to achieve the goals uh, the best way to have fun and the best way to to find their team to do it i think uh, if i need to decide what's the best or the most important things to achieve uh, their goals is first of all is to have fun second one to do it with people that you really trust a coach uh um, teammates and the third one is to be consistent and uh, find out the best way to do it um, I think one of the key points is to achieve every day different goals every week different goals every month different goals uh, so need to be like uh, a consistent uh, achievement of different things and I think this is going to be the most important thing but the, the key point is to have fun if you don't have fun it's going to be hard to achieve uh, your goals yeah, yeah, definitely. And and the and the most important thing is not always about uh, being the best. It's always about about doing your best. And this is also an important thing that people should not forget, especially when they have kids. They want to be the best football player, the best basketball player. Is trying to do the best by the they sell they their players, but rather by themselves. So I think this is the most important thing, and we never. We should never forget these things, especially when we go to watch our kids playing football or basketball or whatever sport. 
let them play, support them, be them with them, and listen their histories. But let the coach work and uh, let enjoy about the sport life from them. Yeah, let them have fun. Yes, correct. This is the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ander, for for joining us uh, for the podcast. It's been obviously super interesting and uh, very inspiring to to listen to your stories and everything that that you have to say. So we really appreciate it. No, thank you to you. I love when people goes uh, to the other side of the athletes, where people like you try to explain that uh, the human part of the athletes. And I really love it. This conversation, it was like five minutes conversation. And I look and it's a little bit more. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thanks for your job and good luck with the different interviews. And please follow the different postcards. They are amazing histories. I'm 100% sure about this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, thank you. And we wish you all the best of luck, of course. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars. It's really important for us. You can find all the links to Anders' social media in the description. For more information about us and the podcast, follow us on Instagram at easypodcast underscore. See you next week.